This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and I'm really pleased you're joining us for episode number 14 of Go To Grandma. Today is my grandson's second birthday. Two-year-olds often get tagged with the terrible twos, but so far Owen is avoiding that and will hopefully swing through the three-nature stage as well. We'll see. Imagine being only two right now. It's hard to imagine what the world will be like for him when he reaches adulthood. Certainly, the young men who reached adulthood in the early part of the 20th century faced an uncertain future as they marched into World War I. Remembrance Day in Canada is November the 11th to have R.H. Thompson on the show today. You might know R.H. as Matthew Cuthbert on CBC's Anne with an E, and he'll be pleased you remember that. But he's here today to talk about a nonprofit he started in 2011 called The World Remembers. He'll tell us all about why he started that, plus what it's been like to be an actor in the time of COVID. I'm going to sneak in a few questions for Matthew as well, of course. A fascinating chat on all levels. Part of the reason I work out every day is because I have a two-year-old grandson who only operates on two speeds, run and run faster. He giggles and squirms and leaps and darts, and we have to be prepared to dodge and grab and lift and phew. It's still not enough of a workout that we need to stay healthy. 63-year-old grandma of four, Marika Peterson, is a fitness specialist and, fun connection, sister of Zoomer Radio's Jean Stevens, and has been my personal trainer and fitness instructor off and on for years. I have spent many hours listening to Marika tell me to keep moving and stop whining. She's super fit, and she's going to tell us why we all need to start strength training right now. It's never too late to start. Our Take 5 with RBC series continues with all the information Canadians need to know about buying real estate in the U.S. Perk that coffee, steep that tea. We've got R.H. Thompson coming up first. Robert with an R, chatting about Anne with an E, with me, Kathy with a K, and so much more. Stay tuned. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. R.H. Thompson is a well-known Canadian television, film, and stage actor with a career spanning almost five decades. He has received numerous awards for his contributions to the art and to war veterans. In 2011, he established The World Remembers ahead of the 100-year anniversary of World War I. The World Remembers is a non-profit Canadian organization whose goal is to name every person who lost their life in the First World War, regardless of the army in which they fought. During the 1914 to 1918 centenary years, the organization was able to persuade 16 nations to join the project. RH continues to work with countries such as Italy and Austria to make their lost soldiers' names accessible for generations to come. RH, thank you so much for coming in studio with us today. It's mm-hmm. such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And it. I am fascinated by your project, World Remembers. So for our listeners who aren't aware, I want you to start at the beginning and tell me what ignited your passion to create in 2011 this project to find and commemorate the names of those lost in World War I from every World War I nation. 
Yeah, it's a bit of a jump-off-a-cliff idea, because how would you ever do it? I mean, there were, what, 34 nations and how many colonies, and it's never been done before. But the, the because we came out of the theater, we came out of the performing arts, we said, you know, memory shouldn't be around. You know, it's good to have the big adjectives, you know, freedom and sacrifice and all that. But what about the people? Mm-hmm. And we said, you got to remember the people. And on the 100th, and I know we remember them as a collective, very honorably, we remember them but no one in a hundred years remembers James and Saeed mm-hmm. and Mary and Bill and Paul and Bridget. Nobody remembers the names. So we thought because it had killed so many people, nine and a half million, we should actually name them, which sounds like a simple idea, but man, are there politics in the middle of that? Oh, there really? is archives in the middle of that. There's international relations in the middle of that. So it just became an impossible hill to try to climb, Mm -hmm. but so many people jumped on saying, yeah, that's a great idea. And we said, we want to put them in schools. You know, we want to put them up on, you know, in Ottawa. We want to put them on Toronto City Hall and the big projections. So it kind of ground along and slowly grew. And now we have, Austria has just joined us. Mm -hmm. So there are 21 nations and there's over 4 million names and it's running in a display at the at the uh, Canadian War Museum, but we all add this to the website as well. So it's a massive undertaking, and has uh, you know. But for me, I say, what happens to the Pakistani Canadian kid who lives in Brampton? Do we just leave them out? Mm-hmm. No, you remember the men and women from Pakistan who were killed in the First World War. It's right? a huge undertaking. Nine and a half yeah. million. You've already got four million, four million names. I've been on the website. It is a fascinating look through the lives of the individuals, as you say, those actual people, and no more so than the photographs that are on display in the gallery. It really tells the story. And I love that they're sorted into soldiers and women. And, you know, you can really um, search through the different areas. And now that it's 2021, and you mentioned the World Remembers display is at the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa, now through Remembrance Day. Tell me about how the program has sustained since 2018 and where does the exhibit go from there? Well, what I'm trying to do is I keep trying to add countries because, mm-hmm. you know, there's 34 nations and with Austria, we're now at 21. And then you get you enter the whole thing of World War I data. This is archives from 100 years ago. And it's very, in some countries it's in good shape. In most countries it's mm-hmm. in wildly chaotic shape. So, say the example we might talk about today is Italy, in that the Italian federal government, bless them, you know, they have their books, for the Caduti books from the 1930s, but no one, but those are books that have not been verified by modern historians right. and archivists. So, we found a group in Italy, the Historico um, Reggio Emilia, and they are a small private group, and they have worked for years to what we call digitalize and relook at. And they have come up with 400, I think it's 500,000 names. 500,000 Italians. So you want to say, you know, this all costs me money to bring, because I don't have any big funding. Mm -hmm. I don't have like, so the cost to do all the work that we need to bring that in, to show the Italian photographs, to talk about the Italian experience, that's a fair budget. And I got to raise that money. I got to go find that money. So I'm trying to reach out to people in the Italian Canadian community and say, you know, I need 15,000 bucks to all the work to make this, to make this work. But I can't tell you, I'll just give you a a tiny thumbnail in that, because we only had like 15,000 Italian names that several groups in the north of Italy had say, yeah, yeah, we have this little list. And for example, an archivist in 
Slovenia, who I know, Petra, she said, do you know about the Italians who died in the prison camp here? I said, no. She said, no, no, there were 922 Italians who died in a prisoner of war camp in Ljubljana in Slovenia. I said, do the Italians know about this? No, they don't know about this. They never ask. And I said, well, could you send me the cemetery records? So she sent me the scans of the cemetery records from 1921, and there are 922, and there's two women in that group, people who have been totally forgotten for more of 100 years, like buried, gone. Mm -hmm. So we spend the funds to bring it up into the project, then their names are projected, and the families can find when their family name will appear. So what you're talking about funding, what can our listeners do to, to help? They can go to the website and they can donate? You can go to the website and donate. There's a donate button there, you know, help us. I think there's a donate tab and it comes through Canada Helps. You can email me at rhrhsimpatico.ca. There we go. And I'll send you a donation form, a simple email, mm-hmm. rhrh <laughs> Uh We're a charitable, you know, we give tax deductions. But it's the only way we've grown and grown and grown is because people from the Ukrainian community and all these other communities say, no, we want to help. So it's really a community-based project as opposed to a top-down idea. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. a people-up idea. Well, I hope that this helps. I hope having you speak about this helps. It's a fascinating project, and, and uh, it's something that we should all be interested in, honestly, and we should all follow. Thank you for sharing that with us. And the website is theworldremembers.org. I need to ask you these questions also, R.H. Totally. When I reached out on social media and said that I was having you on this show, you have a massive and with an E following, um, as well as your other work, of course, your other stage work. Uh, I'm going to ask a couple questions about that. We'll tease it into it. But what's it been like being an actor with the theaters closed because of COVID? Because, of course, a lot of your work is on the stage. It's not been good. You know, we do performances on Zoom. You know, we get a cast of 10, roll on Zoom. We mm-hmm. read it and people come and watch. And, you know, okay, yeah, okay. But <laughs> basically, yeah. it's small. that small TV without the pictures. Yeah. And you realize that being, you, you, you're, my body dies to be back in mm-hmm. a theater because it's about bone and blood. Mm-hmm. When you are in a space, it's like being in a bullfight. There's something, or being at a hockey game. There's one thing to watch a hockey game on television. There's another thing to be there. Mm-hmm. And really telling stories with bones and blood in the room is, is really important. So we're hoping things open up a bit. I hope so. Actually, my 22-year-old Bridget and I went to the Shaw Festival just about a month ago, and we are big theater goes. And it was so lovely to be back in that space and that venue again. So as an audience participant, I feel your, I feel your pain. How's that? Like that we don't what have that see? connection. What did you see? What show did you see? We saw uh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, okay, yeah, all yeah. right. Sherlock Holmes. It was a great production, actually, yeah. and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. We're hoping to get back for some of their holiday holiday good, shows good. as well. So, do you get recognized as Matthew Cuthbert? Do you get you know calls of Matthew when you're out on the street? No. What? I'm shocked. <laughs> no. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes. Very, very occasionally, but no. But no, no. and are uh, there more plans for Anne with an E in the works? Uh, no, Netflix pulled the plug. Darn. And because it was mainly Netflix money and minority CBC money, it, when Netflix walked away, the whole thing couldn't go any further. So that was that. Well, as I mentioned, you have a huge following on social media, and I asked if there was any questions that people would like to ask of you. Right. So I'll start with this one. What was one, or if you can narrow it down, your favorite scene in and with an E to act in? favorite scene. Or did you have one? My favorite scene. Probably oh not when you got God. knocked down by the horse or something. Like no. That. <laughs> Amy Beth and Geraldine and I became very close. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, the Marilla and Anna. Mm-hmm. We still keep up. Whenever we worked together as a trio, that was just delicious because we got to know each other so mm-hmm. well and we all kind of had the same uh, 
some pleasures and frustrations with what we were trying to do. Yeah. And they, we all shared a certain zaniness. <laughs> they're bordering on misbehavior. Uh, oh, we need to hear some of that. Maybe. Which kept us going. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I also really enjoyed working. I mean, working with the animals. Mm, working with Barney. Working yep. with, uh, you know, working in the barn. I, I like physical theater. Mm-hmm. So I like physical filmmaking. Uh, you know, standing on a TV set and standing on your mark in front of the whatever set it is and saying your dialogue and then exiting. It's got no attraction for me. But doing, you know, doing a film scene where you're actually got the hands on the horse or you're doing this or you're physically engaged in something, because I believe film and television is a physical medium, Mm -hmm. though I see a lot of the dramas that are on television, I go, they don't believe it's a physical medium. Right, you know, right. The actors stand there, they're talking heads, their hair is done nicely, and their teeth are brushed. <laughs> but it's not a not physically expressed. Right. Did you do a lot of the stunts yourself with the animals? It certainly seems like it when you yeah, watch no, the Yeah, no, I love show. doing that. I, yeah. But, you know, they, they get very proprietorial. And I say, no, 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 you, <laughs> you, you, you can't go faster than a trot on a horse. I go, well, come on, let me canter. <laughs> no, no, we can't, you can't gallop on a horse. And, well, come on, let me do it. So. Just one time. Um, no. Did you film all of the show in PEI? No, very little no. in PEI. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yep, to pull up a whole crew and go over there. So right. we usually film three, four days at the beginning of every season on PEI, which is great. We did the beach scenes or the long cliff scenes, but everything else is back here up and just north of Pickering. Oh, okay. I didn't realize yep. that. Yep. One last question I had. Um, your impression of Amy Beth when you first met her. I think I said to her, hello, I'm Robert. I'm going to be playing Matthew, but just call me it. <laughs> She said, okay, then you call me it also. Fun. So for three years, for four years, we were it and it also to each other. Well, that chemistry comes across on this screen. <laughs> it's wonderful to watch. I'm loving this series, which I'm watching for the first time, um, but certain members of my family are watching for the third time. Thank you for joining us so much today. Thank you. Um, and please, we will all check out The World Remembers and continue to uh, watch the shows and, and look for you on stage very soon, I hope. I hope so too. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Marika Peterson has been a fitness specialist for 38 years and a personal trainer for 25. She proudly represents other age-defying fit women and men who want to move well. Marika has three grown kids and four grandkids. She's 63 and walks her talk. Marika is also certified in Stop Pilates Mat and Injuries and Special Populations. She's taught hip-hop classes and choreographed dance shows. Good morning, Marika Peterson. Thank you for joining us this morning. You have certainly tried to whip my butt into shape many times <laughs> over the years. Happily so. Why is weight training so important as we age? Well, hi, Kathy, and hi to everyone there. First off, if everyone's at home, why don't we all just kick off our shoes? Okay. Please do that. Yeah, just get some mobility in between those toes and kick them off and get some space. Okay, here we go. So, We all know that it's important at every age, right, to work out Mm -hmm. and to weight train specifically, but even more so as we age. For us, I'm 63. As we age, we know those terrible stats that muscle mass decreases, we lose bone mass, yada, yada. However, what we don't always recognize is those are stats for inactive, you know, older folks, 50 plus. We can increase bone. We can increase muscle mass. By weight training and I actually like to call it weighted movement you know we just have to move our body weight mm-hmm. that's it we, we want to be strong we want to be coordinated we want to be balanced um, I mean that's important to everybody but in addition to that 
you know, why not build more brain cells? Why not live longer? Why not move better? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Especially when you have, you know, young grandchildren around that you want to have balance when you pick up. But also you're right on the on the brain front as well. We want to be there with them. Exactly. Exactly. So whether you do have that focus of, you know, playing with your grandkids or whether you're, you know, just having the focus to live a longer, functionally uh, better life. I mean, you know, it's in all of our best interests to move better. So what are some exercises you would recommend for building stronger grandparents? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I love calling it stronger grandparents. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I could could list off some things, and I will. What I want to say is, is look at the big picture. So we want to work with movement patterns. Uh, as opposed to trying to target a muscle, trying to have one target exercise. So within those movement patterns that all humans, you know, work with, mm-hmm. uh, we have a squat. Okay, so very basic exercise. We need a squat uh, at every age. Start with a squat on the wall. You know, we've done this. 90-degree mm-hmm. uh, angle. It's very stable. It's a great place to start. Uh, as you progress, you know, maybe add a stability ball or progress with the dumbbells or move away from the wall. But that would be one of the key movement patterns. Also a mm-hmm. hinge, mm-hmm. which is in a squat, but you could take that to a deadlift, where really we're just working on the mechanics of, you know, upper body, lower body, hinging at the hip, at the knee, at the ankle. Uh, and some other, you know, movement patterning uh, ideas would be the push-pull, right? Mm-hmm. So we also call it a push-press. So any kind of push-up is going to do so much for our strength. And we can start with a push-up against the wall. So, you know, I can work with people in their 70s, 80s. Everybody can do some form of a push-up. So right. I would suggest, you know, that wall is a great place to start. I call my wall Wally, you know, my best friend. <laughs> yeah. um, and then we have pulls, so any kind of mm-hmm. row, you know. So when we're working with movement patterns, we want to work with the basics. We want to be able to twist, you know, that's a rotational uh, movement. So working obliques. Um, without getting too targeted into any one exercise, I would say work with movement patterns. Walking is a great example of our gait pattern, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So walking every day, you know, these are just small, um, easy to implement things, especially if you're retired and, you know, you have the time now to work on, on your mobility and your strength. So this mobility Yeah, mobility training is especially important, as you just mentioned, for this group, because it's so easy to not move, right? Exactly. I really focus on mobility more than talking about anything else. Uh, We should all be focused on how our hips, our knees, our ankles, our feet. You know, with me, I've realized I have a faulty, I don't even want to say faulty, but a big toe that doesn't push off properly. I have a bunion. You know, I have a baker's fist. So, you know, but having said that, you know, I, I move very well. Mm-hmm. I'm compensated. I'm strong. But we all need to look at uh, how, you know, how is our mobility so that we can functionally move better and build that foundational strength. And by the way, strength training and skills training are two really different things. So mm-hmm. I'm focused more in building strength, yes, but in the skills of mobility, of how well we can move to the floor, play with our grandkids, you know, stand back up again, uh, move from point A to point B. I totally agree. You're right. It's in those movements that we really, and, and you're right, with young grandkids, that's what we want to be able to do. And I know your grandkids call you Noni. Is that right? They call me Noni. 
long as they call me. As long as they call you, exactly. And I know, of course, I'm an avid follower of yours on social media. You have a terrific Instagram account, at Marika Trainer. Yes. And uh, you do actually a lot of things. I notice a lot of active things with your grandkids as well. So it's a super fun and informational account to follow. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. I encourage everyone to find you. That's M-A-R-I-K-A, Marika Trainer. Thank you for joining us today, Marika. And I promise I'll be back in the gym soon. My pleasure. Can't wait to see you. Alain Forger has been working for Royal Bank Financial Group for over 42 years, holding various business and sales leadership roles in Canada, the Caribbean, and the U.S. He is passionate about helping Canadians purchase U.S. homes and works closely with consumers, real estate professionals, and other strategic partners to provide education and opportunity to Canadian buyers in the U.S. Alain is a licensed real estate agent in Florida and has his certified international property specialist designation. He holds a degree in finance, management and investment. Good morning, Alain. Yeah, good day, Kathy, and thanks for having me today. Thanks for joining us. You're somewhat warmer place than I am right now. You're in Florida and you're not alone. A lot of Canadians are finding their way down there and buying real estate. Why are Canadians buying real estate in the U.S.? And what are some of the main differences between home buying in the U.S. compared to buying in Canada? Sure. And first, let's start with some big numbers from the U.S. National Association of Realtors International Report stating that over the last 12 years, Canadians purchased over you know $100 billion of U.S. real estate, making them in the top two wow. interna- uh, countries of international buyers. And the year prior to the pandemic, we purchased $9.5 billion. And even during the pandemic, uh, over last year, they purchased $4.2 billion, and 75% of that is in the Sunbelt states such as Florida, Arizona, and California. So why Canadians are buying U.S. real estate? Obviously, you know, Canadians buying U.S. real estate, like active retiring mm-hmm. and, or retired boomers, are looking for second home, vacation home under the sun, obviously to escape the Canadian winter, <laughs> yep. but also to have the lifestyle and, and, of course, the weather that they can enjoy during that uh, winter time and have maybe a, within three to four hour you know, flight right. having the rest of the family and the grandkids with them. Also, affordability is another point important to remember in Florida, Arizona, compared with metro markets like GTA or Vancouver in Canada. And, of course, asset diversification and return on their long-term investment are other reasons. Yeah, I mean, a lot of reasons. You're absolutely, And those are big numbers we're talking about. So if Canadians don't have credit history in the U.S., um, can they still get a mortgage? And if so, what should they know about U.S. financing? You know, the, the good thing is RBC Bank is here in the U.S. as a residential you know, uh, lender just for Canadians nationwide in the U.S. to provide U.S. financing and, and of course, solutions for them for their cross-border lifestyle from dream to doorstep. Mm-hmm. And really, if Canadians don't uh, are looking to buy in the U.S. or don't have a U.S. credit story, obviously, because they are Canadian residents, this is why RBC Bank is here in the U.S. like RBC is in Canada, is to help them navigate, you know, those those uh, needs and, and also provide, you know, the the mortgage financing they need in the U.S. with their credit story. So what we do at RBC Bank is since we only work with Canadians in the U.S., we pull the credit story from Canada and we can qualify them using their Canadian credit story, income, assets, and debts to uh, apply for, you know, their mortgage. Oh, wow. That's great to know. 
I wouldn't have known that otherwise. So, you know, so you're getting the financing based on um, the good credit behavior that you've had in Canada. Exactly, because we understand they, they are Canadians, and since RBC Bank is dedicated only with Canadians mm-hmm. in the U.S., we use this credit story for north of the border. And to qualify them for, for that mortgage is also helping them to mitigate the impact of the currency exchange for right. a purchase of a second home, uh, which we can go uh, financing up to 80%. Uh, and really, uh, this is really one of the opportunity that they have, but a lot of them just don't know about that. Mm -hmm. And also, it is different experience, borrowing experience that they are used to in Canada, for example, which takes seven to 10 days in Canada will take more like 30 to 45 days in the U.S. And our mortgage in the U.S. are fully open mortgage, so they can repay in full or in part at any time during the term. If the Canadian dollar gains some, you know, strength with the U.S. dollar, and also really without any prepayment penalty, they can repay those mortgage. And our team of, uh, you know, mortgage professionals only work with Canadians, so they can provide relevant advice and a more educated. Uh, cross-border borrowing experience each step of the way for them. That's amazing. So RBC can really help Canadians find their dream home under the sun. Listeners should go to rbcbank.com slash HPA for more information. And I thank you so much for your time this morning, Eileen. I learned a lot and I think we all did about getting down into the sun. Thank you so much. Okay, you're welcome, Ted. It was my pleasure. Take care. You too. Remembrance Day is November 11th and is a time of reflection and of honoring our war veterans. Please make sure to visit www.legion.ca for more information on how you can help. Visit the Poppy Store on this site for a wide assortment of items featuring the Poppy, our symbol of support. I'd like to thank RH for giving us insight into The World Remembers, which I highly recommend you check out. The photograph gallery is incredible. And yes, to the loyal Anne with an E fans, and I discovered there are many of them. Keep on doing what you're doing. The thing about grandkids is they have a way of getting bigger and bigger, and we have a way of getting older and older. Thanks to Marika Peterson for telling us how we can push ourselves and our weights to make sure we can continue to be active and to fully enjoy our grandkids. Have you ever wanted to write a memoir? Or do you just really enjoy reading them? You'll want to tune in next week when we talk with two authors about their memoirs. Ralph ben is known to all Canadian television and radio audiences, and his new book, I Thought He Was Dead, is not only a fun look at the inner workings of Canadian media, but a reflection on what it means to age and sage, which Ralph will explain. I loved this book, and I think you'll love our interview. Kathy Gildener became an author at age 50 and has written three New York Times best-selling memoirs. She'll join me to talk about Too Close to the Falls and give us some advice on how to start that memoir. The Take 5 with RBC series continues with a chat about estate planning. Have you started that yet? You've got a week to think about it. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Pin that poppy on and enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.